indeed there is. Hear this assurance of pardon from Luke chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 will be our focus for our study of God's word this morning. Galatians 6 can be found on page 975 in the Black Bibles. As you're turning there, my introductory question to you, based on what we went through last week in Galatians 5, is what do you think it looks like to be led by the Holy Spirit? I had one point last week from Galatians 5. It was that you should walk or be led by, there was four different action verbs in Galatians 5, keep in step with the Holy Spirit, that God's plan for the world to get rid of evil, to deal with the problems, is to give himself through Jesus Christ and then send the Holy Spirit all over the nations, and that this is his plan. The plan is the Holy Spirit, if you're wondering what God's going to do in the world. And so what does it look like? That's what we need to finish we were kind of like leaving it hanging to some degree and that's why the Bible passage doesn't end there and it goes into chapter 6 and he continues this thought of the work of the Holy Spirit in chapter 6 and so what does it look like? What does it look like to be led by the Spirit? Some people will say it's miracles. That you know that you're truly seeing the work of the Holy Spirit if miraculous signs and wonders are happening. Some people will say that the true mark of the Holy Spirit in your life is that you speak another foreign language. In the Bible, it's called speaking in tongues. Some will say that you will have outbursts of joy and laughter, or they call it being slain in the Spirit. Legalistic types might say it's all about keeping the rules, and you're going to be super, super holy, and you never do anything wrong anymore. Or maybe you even get entirely sanctified. There's a whole theology system of entire sanctification where you get this grace of the Holy Spirit on your life and so consumes you that you usually basically don't sin anymore. Others will talk about the power encounters between the spiritual battles in the world, between evil and demons, and like you can have the ability to fight them and defeat them. And that's the true mark. Like if you're a really spirit-filled Christian, then would be able to defeat the demons and evil in the world in your life. Or some will say that they hear God speak to them audibly, so they will tell you, no, I'm not going to do this or that because God told me so, and I heard in my time with him that he told me to do this or that, and the Spirit spoke, and that's the evidence of the mark of the Holy Spirit. Now, in that list of things, I think some of those things, and we'll have other sermons in future Sundays, hopefully, where we'll talk about some of them that are, I think, very dangerous and not true whatsoever. Uh, some of those, I think, might even be biblical. In fact, Galatians chapter 3, if you just peek over there, you'll see in chapter 3 in the early verses, he says, you know, you guys all have the Spirit by faith. And then look at verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you, do so by works of the law, by hearing by faith. So miracles was one of my lists. I mean, it does seem like the Holy Spirit does miraculous things. Even here in Galatians, it seems like a biblical idea. And some of the things I mentioned were biblical, some of them weren't, unfortunately. But those are the sort of things that you would hear from Christians in the world today. And I'm assuming that many of you have heard these things. Here's the answer I think the Bible gives. What we're going to see here in Galatians what you're going to see in every text where it talks about spiritual gifts or spiritual fruit, 
How do you know if you're being led by the Holy Spirit? And it's just one simple word, love. That's it. You will know you're being led by the Holy Spirit if it's leading you to love others. That's the mark. That's how you'll know. One thing you might want to do with some of those questions about speaking in tongues, miraculous gifts, prophecy, signs, wonders. One of the sections of scripture that talks about that the most is 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. My guess is almost every one of you have heard chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It does not keep any record of wrongs. It is not self-seeking. Have you heard this before? It's like one of the most quoted passages in all of the Bible. Yes, we've heard it before, Pastor Phil. I love the enthusiasm. To kind of prove a point before we dive into Galatians, because it's exactly what we're going to see in Galatians. Did you realize that chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians comes before chapter 13? And chapter 14 comes after 13. I know that you're like, Phil, that's all you got out of all those years at seminary and school. But sometimes it's the easy things that you need to notice. In other words, there's a sandwich. There's two pieces of bread, and it's spiritual gifts in chapter 12. Read chapter 12 later today, and you'll see that it's all about the gifts God gives people in the church to love each other. And then in chapter 14, he says to build up the church. So 12 and 14 is all about using gifts of the Holy Spirit to love. And so what's in the very center of that passage? What's the meat of the sandwich? The most beautiful definition of love that has ever been penned in the Bible and in the world. How do you know if you're using the gifts of the Holy Spirit appropriately? How do you know if you have true, authentic gifts? How do you know if you're being led by the Holy Spirit? Love. It is all over the Bible. It is exactly what we see in this text of Scripture. So let's read it, and I'm going to have us focus on verses 1 through 10. But so you see the context and flow of thought, we're going to start in chapter 5, verse 13. So follow along with me. Chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is filled, fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of Desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and desire of the spirit are against the flesh, for those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any spiritual or any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I hope it was not hard for you to see my point. This whole talk about being led or walking by the Spirit is surrounded by the context of loving one another, fulfilling the whole Old Testament law through love and and then caring for each other as we see in chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. So what I want to do for our time this morning to help us follow this passage in a succinct way is to ask three questions about this idea. What does it look like to be led by the Spirit? have three questions on that unpacking. Number one, who does the Spirit lead you to? Number two, what does the Spirit lead you to do once he's led you to those people? Okay, so who does the Spirit lead you to? Second, what does the Spirit lead you to do? And third, how does the Spirit lead you to do those things? So they're going to build off of each other. First, we'll start with who, and then we'll do look at what, and then we'll how we'll start with who in verse 10. Look at verse 10. I think it sums up quite well who the Spirit leads us to. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So the short answer then is what? Who does the Spirit lead us to? Everyone you have opportunity to. So the key there is opportunity. So you can't obviously serve every single person on the entire globe. You are a finite human being. You have limited time, space, resources. You can only be in one place at one time. So as you have opportunity, well, then everybody is fair game. But notice the emphasis here, especially the household of faith. So especially the church. And I think that that needs to be pointed out. I think this is one of the the workings of the Holy Spirit when you see someone that starts caring not just about people other than themselves, but especially God's people especially the diverse group of people in the church. Notice that the whole text is talking about one another that we read. Do not use your freedom, brothers, or brothers and sisters. That's who he's talking to. Instead, use your freedom in chapter 5, verse 13, as an opportunity to serve one another, to love one another in verse 14. That's the whole command of the Bible is to love. Jesus sums it up, Paul summing it up. 
It's to love, not just love in general, but to love one another. And the one another is the church, the household of God. It says it in chapter 6, verse 1, brothers. You see the family language all through this section of scripture is all over the New Testament. So who does the Spirit lead you to? Well, everyone that you have opportunity to, but especially, especially brothers and sisters in the church. Now, it does give a broader definition here. Let us do good to everyone. And this could be like charitable acts. This could be serving the poor. It could be all kinds of things. But one of the things I feel like we miss out on, at least in churches and Bible teaching, is, is this point about the especially caring for the needs of the church as a priority, as an emphasis. So let me take, for example, a little like litmus test. My guess is you've heard the passage in Matthew 25, at least a lot of you have heard the passage when Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in glory with the angels, he's going to sit on a throne and he's going to gather all the nations and he's going to separate people, the sheep from the goats, place the sheep on the right, the goats on the left. And the king then says, come all who are blessed, inherit the kingdom. And then he says these words, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer and say, Lord, now when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king answered, truly, I say to you, that whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. And that's how you remember it being read, right? Does that sound familiar? Whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. There's a problem. I skipped a word. That's not what the actual text says. That's not what Jesus says. You know what the actual word says? Truly, I say to you, whatever you did to the least of my brothers, you did to me. Do you see the emphasis even in the words of Jesus in one of the most quoted texts for social justice, care for the poor all around the world. That Jesus says this text is about people who look at the face of lovers of Christ, brothers and sisters in the church. And they're poor, they're imprisoned, they're hungry, they're thirsty, and their heart burns to serve them. And so they serve them. And Christ says, when you serve those brothers and sisters in those circumstances, it's as if you're serving me. Now, could it be in a broader, more general sense that we should do good to everyone, including the poor that aren't Christians? It does seem that that's true in Galatians 6.10, doesn't it? Everyone. Do good to everyone as you have opportunity. But especially pay special attention to, make sure that the church's needs financially, emotionally, in every which way, spiritually speaking, are cared for in the church. This is exactly what we see after Jesus leaves and the church gets started in the early church and it says there were no needs among them. Meaning the brothers, everyone's needs physically, spiritually, emotionally, they were cared for. You get these amazing summary statements in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 of a church community that took Jesus' words to heart and very seriously to the least of these brothers and sisters of people. One of the most beautiful things you need to see is Jesus so identifies himself with this church that to serve the church is to serve Jesus himself. If you serve my wife, you're serving my family. Does that make sense? So if you serve Jesus' wife, i.e. the church, you are serving Jesus. And he is very grateful for it. He's very honored 
John Calvin said, you cannot have God as your father unless you also have the church as your mother. He's trying to explain the close relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. One of my hopes and passions as a pastor is that this church, Embassy, would be known for at least two distinctive things. One, Jesus, 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 Jesus! <laughs> like, as much as we can emphasize it. That we preach Jesus, we sing Jesus, we're all about helping people know Jesus. Every single service, every single message, every single conversation, it's okay if we talk too much about Jesus. If only we could have that problem. Second thing, that you would see how important the local church is. It is one of, I think, the most neglected doctrinal teachings, biblical teachings, and I have a passion to help us see that we need to elevate the local church in our minds. Elevate our commitment to it, our love for it, Jesus' view of it, your view of it, and therefore your involvement in it. The Holy Spirit leads you to prioritize the local church. I think that seems quite plain in our text in Galatians 6.10 explicitly, but really the whole context of Galatians in general. So do not miss that verse that says, especially those of the household of faith. But also don't miss that he says everyone. Let, let's hold both of them. We can do that, I think. The Spirit's powerful. He's a transforming power in our lives. So it's possible that you can be caring for the lost and the least that are outside the church and the least that are in the church. I do think that he can give us that ability and power. And so therefore, as we read in our Romans 12 passage, who's the everyone? Everyone. How about my enemies? I think Jesus had a few words to say about that. Love your enemies. What did we read in Romans 12 just a minute ago? Bless those who persecute you. Don't, don't heap burning coals of fire and brimstone on their head. Heap burning coals of love on their head. Repay evil with love. So this means everyone in the Christian teaching of it means literally everyone possible that you would run into as you have opportunity to. Even the person you hate the most. Whether it's an ethnic division, like, well, my people don't like those kind of people. Well, guess what? If you're a Jesus people, you're a new kind of people with the Holy Spirit in you. And so now you love those people by the power of the Spirit. He leads you to love those kind of people. And some of us will feel, find ourselves, I can't do that. That's kind of the point. It's kind of why you need the Holy Spirit to depend moment by moment, step by step, to invite him to influence you every step along the way. So how are we doing as a church in these areas? Has the Holy Spirit led us to love one another and so prioritize the local church that that becomes normal, that these relationships are especially cared about? Are we doing okay with this? Are we failing miserably? And I don't know if I'm always the best judge of these things, but I do want to give you a word of encouragement. It's easy, I think, sometimes to just point out all the bad things we're doing. But how about some encouragement? How about this little note I got from our good friend and brother, Xavier Torres. Pastor Phil, this, this, was, this was not requested for. This was out of the blue this very week. So this was fresh on my mind. Xavier says, Pastor Phil, after becoming a Christian and heading home for the summer, I had no idea what my next step would be in terms of growing as a Christian. And so I decided to make the decision to attend a church for the first time in my life because a friend suggested that I should go to embassy. I was followed by a great sense of worry, and I feared that I would not be welcomed by those 
in my new family in Christ. By God's grace, I attended your services, was greeted with nothing but love and encouragement from the members of Embassy. The love I now feel on a daily basis from my brothers and sisters in Christ is a clear testament of the leadership that God has placed in our lives, and I could not be more thankful to the Lord for using you and Embassy Church to mold me into the person I am today. I thank God for helping me to humble myself, to submit to the leadership of Embassy and the teaching of God's word, and I am praying for you all and praising God for such an amazing church you are leading, not just today, but always. God bless you. is it to hear the testimonies of people feeling loved this isn't just about me this is about the church rallying around a guy that's like i I don't know anybody so many of you have been in those situations you're like i feel like nobody knows me nobody cares about me this is one of the things to just say hey church let's know what a blessing it can be the smallest and simplest of things to see someone come to the church and say to hear those testimonies. It's encouraging to hear size testimonies of baptisms. It's not about amazing sermons. You hear size say, well, I went to church and Pastor Phil just killed it one Sunday. No, he said the love of this church week after week after week and the number of people he said that shared the love of Jesus with him. Don't you want to just pray for more of those kind of testimonies? Doesn't that just want to fuel the flame to do more love for one another because you see how God is using the work of the Holy Spirit in this church. So I just want to encourage you that it's, it's going on. It's happening. People's lives are being transformed by the Holy Spirit as we reach out to people, both non-Christians and Christians. So let's consider how we can stir each other up in that way. Secondly, looked at who, who is especially the church family. Let's look at what. What does the Spirit lead you to do? I have a list of things that I want us to consider that he does, and I have four of them. Four things in this text that the Spirit leads us to do. Number one, restore broken people. Restore broken people. This is in verse one. It's quite clear. If anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch, lest you yourself be condemned. So first thing. What does the Spirit of God lead us to do once he leads us to other brothers and sisters? That's the who, especially the church, but really anybody, is that when we see people caught in sin, trapped is is the word, that's the idea, that they're they're just stuck in it. This is not we're police and we're always looking out like, oh, okay, I think that that was a sin, and you're just always looking out to try and be Mr. My spiritual gift is to rebuke people. That's not your spiritual gift. Your spiritual gift should be love. That's the point. The Spirit leads us to love people, and when people have wrecked their lives and they're caught in transgression, they're trapped by sins, they're addicted to something, we should rally around them. We should restore them. The word restore here gives a a very gruesome picture, and I've experienced this personally. It's when a bone is broken and it needs set back into place. That's the restoring that happens. Something's been fractured, right? And I broke my left uh, right ankle actually playing football, and it got set in place and the guy on the the football field the doctor he was like a a orthopedic surgeon and he figured i have an idea before the swelling gets too big i'll try and put the bone back in place right here on the football field 
So, so I, I bring that illustration up because by far most excruciating pain I've ever experienced. And I became popular in school for the kid that was screaming on the football field saying, stop, get off my ankle. So you get the idea? It hurt really bad. Restoring people, fractured bones, setting them back into place. This is not always fun. This is not always easy. This often hurts. And sometimes it hurts the person that's being restored. And sometimes it's going to hurt the people that are doing the restoring. Because I'm sure he didn't like me yelling at him when I was like, stop it. Man. So just know that when we are loving the brothers and sisters in our church, we will sometimes be led by the Spirit to do difficult, hard things that we naturally would not want to do. But it would be unloving for you not to. It would be unloving for some of you to see someone in this church continually trapped and stuck in sin and just let them, well, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. That's not the time to use that passage. Smaller issues, but this is talking about major, you have wrecked your life issues. And they need restored, they need saved, they need redeemed. So that's one thing that we will do. We will restore the broken. Secondly, we will bear the burdens. Look at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Burdens are without a doubt a reality in this fallen world, and I don't think you all need a sermon to tell you that there are burdens. It is assumed that we will have burdens. We have spiritual burdens, we have mental burdens, we have physical burdens, we have financial burdens, we have demonic burdens, we have addictions, we have crises in our family, in our work. In this world, Jesus says, you will have trouble. All God's people said, amen. That's true. True word that is. But how many of us feel like, I can't bear burdens because I've got my own burdens, and I'm too busy, I don't have enough money, I have all of these other burdens, how am I possibly going to care for others who need my burdens? And there's a sense to which I think that that's where you should be. You should feel that sense of, I have my own stuff to take care of. How am I going to care for somebody else? Because in fact, look at what the Bible says. Verse 5, chapter 6, for each of you will bear his own load. So there's this, so wait a second, do we bear other people's load or do we bear our own load? And the answer is both. We want to look at Jesus himself and see, did, did Jesus carry his own load? Did he take responsibility for his own actions? And did he manage those responsibilities well? The answer is absolutely. He did it more perfectly than anybody. But did he also carry other people's burdens, even when that inconvenienced him or hurt him or put him in a difficult spot? Or like, no, you know, that's, that's going to cause a lot of sacrifice for you. Do you see where I'm going with this? If you're saying, I can't bear those burdens because that would inconvenience me too much, well, then I sure hope your view of Jesus is that he wasn't saying, yeah, well, that would just inconvenience me too much. My cross is just too heavy. And you know, I didn't actually sin, so that's kind of your load to carry, and I just need to carry my own load. Our view as Christians should constantly be fixed on the cross and realize that there will be many times where we are carrying our own load and feeling like, there's just no way I could carry anybody else's load. And then we look to the cross, and the Holy Spirit empowers us, and he gives you abilities and powers and strength and perseverance to keep going and keep trying, even though you don't feel like that's what, what it looks like. It's transforming power. On the, on the surface, humanly speaking, you might feel like, I can't do it. 
That's why you need the Holy Spirit. One of the things you need to realize is that the words for burden and uh, load here are two different words. So verse 2 and verse 5, I do think are talking about two different ideas. The one is baros and the other is portion or however you pronounce it. So verse 2 literally means a heavy weight, like a stone, that somebody has to carry for a long distance. And the other one, a good everyday kind of soldier's day pack, or if you want to think about it, just a backpack. You see the difference here. Some people have burdens, and some people just have backpacks. And it's sometimes helpful, even pastorally, for us to kind of, you know, step back and be like, is this yours a burden, or is it just your backpack? You kind of need to carry your own backpack. So, like, let's let's play a quick little game. I heard one pastor do this, and I thought it would be helpful for you all. Let's imagine you have a young man, never gets up to go to work or school. He's failing all of his classes. He's about to lose his job. And he says, I've got this big burden. Help me get out of bed. Is that a burden? Or is that just a, a load? What do you guys think? Yeah, I think it's a load. I, I didn't think it would be that difficult. That was kind of an easy one, right? Like, sometimes there's burdens, sometimes there's loads. Sometimes we're just lazy. And, and we need to encourage and exhort those who are lazy. And we don't need to go rub your back and help wake you out of bed every day. Like, you know, take care of your own responsibilities. That seems to be clearly communicated here. But there's also burdens. How about a, a couple that's married? They have three kids. One of the parents suddenly dies in a car accident. The remaining parent and kids now have an abundant amount of need. Burden or load? Yeah, I, I was kind of hoping you guys would say burden. You know, not all of you are participating, but hopefully in your mind you're saying, yeah, that, that kind of sounds like a burden, you know? Some guy's broke. Needs a lot of money, spends all his money on beer, cigarettes, and lotto tickets, and says, hey, I need some money. Burden or load? Yeah, I think that's a load, right? Like, well, you kind of need to be more responsible with how you're, you're spending your money, and that's not a burden. You kind of got yourself into that mess, and so now you need to carry that mess. And we can help people even in their sin. We see that in Galatians 6.1. I'm not saying that we can't help people in that, but you see the difference here. Galatians seem to be talking about the difference between carrying your own load and your own responsibilities and not having somebody carry all of your weight. And then the difference between, you know, somebody living in really hard times, like an older member gets sick, can't even get themselves out of bed, needs help with transportation, needs help with living expenses. In that sense, that's a burden. It's not a load. Somebody's health has failed. They've gotten older. I think as a church, we should rally around and serve those people. So do you see the difference between legitimate needs, legitimate burdens versus illegitimate needs? Let's prayerfully consider each one of us, whether we're treating our loads as burdens. And then on the other side, sometimes we may not realize that we have not just a load, we have a burden. And therefore the church, the church is supposed to help carry that burden. Do you all realize that? Some of you in this room are carrying burdens that are too heavy for you to carry can't care for all of them. You can't do all of them. Just humble yourself. Realize that you need help. It takes humility to reach out and say, I just can't do it. You know how many times I've been rebuked by my wife where she said, Phil, you just can't do all that. You need to go ask the neighbor for help or go ask a church member for help. She's, she's good for me. We talked about that last week, right? So the Spirit leads us to help bear each other's burdens. 
Lord of the Rings, Frodo and Sam are having a conversation at the end of those stories. And Frodo says, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you. Is that who said it? Sam. Sam. Shows you how good I am at this. We fulfill the law of Christ by loving each other in this way. Number three, sharing good things is the third thing that the Spirit leads us to do. Look at verse six. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. These are obviously pastor's favorite verses, right? This means that I should now have a jet plane and I should have a mansion house and a big, big, big bank account because you need to share every good thing you have. Your season ticket. Come on, guys. Playoffs are happening. That's not what you should use this Bible verse for. The clear things in this verse are teachers should teach what? say in verse 6? The word. Faithful teaching of the word is kind of like a, a sometimes missed point here. Verse 6, let the one who is taught the word. What's my job? What's the elder's job? In the church, there are people who are designated as teachers of God's word. And that's the content of what they're to teach. This is why we just go through books of the Bible, so that way I don't have to come up with, what am I going to say this week? about the word, about the word being sufficient for you to teach you the word. That's our hope and our vision and our mission as a church. The word here, the original language is catecheo, which is where we get our word catechism. It talks about the fundamentals of the faith. You need a pastor, you need teachers who are going to teach you the fundamentals of the faith. And if you know anything about Galatians, different teachers have come in and they have not been teaching the fundamentals of the faith. He's telling them, the ones who teach the word, you need to care for them and share good things with. And some have suggested, we don't know this for sure, but I think it's very plausible that they stopped giving money to the faithful teachers and these new false teachers that were sharing these new ideas. Like, oh, we're going to give money to support those pastors and teachers. And so he's telling them, no, no, give financial help, give good things. Bless those who teach God's word faithfully, the fundamentals of the faith. I think one of the things I want to just do again is just tell you not, hey, give me more money. (laughs) Not at all the spirit I have in my heart. If anything, as I have thought about this text, it is thank you, thank you, thank you. That you have allowed my schedule to be free to study the Bible all week long. I teach the Bible three, four times a week. You are allowing me to go to Judson every week, teach Wednesday Bible studies, prepare for Sunday sermons, help teach other young men how to be pastors and train them up in leadership training. One of the primary things I do with my week, if you're wondering, what does pastors do all day? I study the Bible and teach people. I meet with them for lunches and breakfasts and dinners and have them over to my house to teach them the Bible. And because of you, I have the privilege and opportunity to not work a full-time job, care for my family, and try and do this calling I feel God has given me. You, church, you have made that possible. And you have made that possible at a ridiculously fast and quick, uh, in terms of new church timeline. It was before the church was even one year old that you were already fully supported by staff. Do you realize when I tell other people about that, especially other church planters, they have to really apply Galatians 5.25, not get conceited, not get envious. Really? 
It is not normal for a new church, and we're not, are we a massive church with thousands of people? Like, well, we're a new church, and of course we've got enough money to pay for a, a pastor or something. This is, we're a small church, a small church of people who have been generously and faithfully giving. We have enough money in the bank every time we've had members in the church. We have paid our bills, so thank you. The Spirit of God is at work in this church because you all are being taught God's word, and you keep, keep coming back, so you must think that you're being taught something faithful and good to God's word, and I pray that you are. I hope that you are. And by doing so, you are continuing through your faithful giving to allow us to do so. And I pray whether it's me or someone else in the future, you will continue to support the work of teaching the word, faithfully sharing it. That's number three. Number four, last and final thing that we see in this point of what the Spirit leads us to do, we saw that we repair and restore the broken, we bear the burdens, we share the good things that we have to those who teach the word, and finally, we sow in the Spirit. Verse 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from his flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Notice that there are two fields that you can sow your seed into. Your seed is all of your gifts, your talents, your treasures, your money. What are you going to do with your life? What's the Spirit going to lead someone to do? And the answer is to sow into the Spirit, not into the flesh. It's the contrast we saw from Galatians 5. And this is like a divine law. This is like you can bank on it. If you want to keep sowing into the flesh, well, you're going to get what's coming to you. You want to sow into the Spirit, you will get so many greater blessings you could ever imagine. Joy beyond comparison. The world and the flesh wants you to say, save for yourself, spend on yourself, and it'll last for like a moment, a day, a weekend. But then you feel like, ah, oh, I need to kind of get that high and that fix again. And we're in this constant cycle of trying to find satisfaction and happiness. And Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, it is more blessed, it is more joyful, it is more happy if you give instead of trying to receive and keep it all for yourself. So into the spirit is this generous person that we're seeing in this passage of scripture and all the things that are involved with it. John Stott says, every time we wallow our minds to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fancy, wallow in self-pity, that's when we're sowing into the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company, whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist, every time we lie in bed and we ought to be up praying, every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk that strains our self-control, this is when we are sowing into the flesh. God is not mocked. This is a warning. You can write it down, count on it, bank on it, do not take this lightly. Do not be deceived. What you sow, you will reap. The books you read, the people you spend time with, the things you do for entertainment, the thoughts in your head day after day. You should not be surprised if you are constantly sowing into the flesh and you're wondering, why do I keep struggling with these sins? You're sowing into the flesh. So it's this totality of your life. This keep in step with the spirit is not just well, that means go to church once a week. My friend, if you just sow into the Spirit by hearing one sermon once a week, get some encouragement on Sunday morning, and then you're sowing into the flesh the rest of the week, you 
fully false hearts. Let's conclude. Last point. How does the Spirit lead us to sow into the Spirit? How does he lead us to sow into the Spirit? How does he lead us to bear each other's burdens, to share what we have, to help repair the broken and restore the broken? The first thing we see for sure is humility. How does he do this? He works humility in our heart. We need humility for any of this to happen. You see in chapter 5, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And then he kind of explains what it means to keep in step with the Spirit here in verse 26. By not becoming conceited or provoking one another or envying one another. Do you see how closely connected verse 26 is with this whole section in 1 through 10? If you are provoking and like fighting and arguing and you're in competition with each other, are you going to be able to do anything that we just talked about? If, if you're conceited or envious or you're jealous of what other people have, you're going to be so self-absorbed and consumed that there's no chance that you're going to bear each other's burdens. All you're going to care about is your own load. So this is what it looks like to keep in step with the Spirit, is, is looking at verse 26 and seeing how many people, the, the word conceited is only used once here, and the old English translation of it is vainglorious. So you've got this vain glory where you're kind of all about yourself. That's what he says here in verse 26. Let us not become all consumed about ourselves. Because to keep in step with the Spirit is to bear each other's burdens and love one another. So the first thing we need is humility. Notice what he says in verse 1 of chapter 6. Humility is all over this passage. If anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And keep watch, lest you be tempted. You don't have humility. There will be no caring for people who are in a sin and caught in a transgression because, first of all, they're not going to listen to you. If you come as like, I'm telling you that you're wrong and I'm right, how many people listen to that? But what if you come beside the brother or the sister? What if you come underneath of them? What if you first confess, man, I used to struggle with this too. You know, I'm a sinner just like you are. But by God's grace... I am a spiritual sinner, and that's what this word, if you who are spiritual, and do not read into that anything more. This, this is actually just you're walking by the Spirit. That's all that phrase means. You who are walking by the Spirit and have noticed that somebody's stuck, and your heart goes out to them, reach out to them, but watch out that you don't get proud. Watch out that you don't get self-righteous. Watch out that you don't even get caught up in their own sin and so partner up next to them that you're now doing the very sin that they are or looking over it like, ah, well, I guess it's not that big a deal anyway. The humility piece is important. And that's why he says in verse 3, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, that's the chipper verse of this morning, right? You are nothing if you deceive yourself. So don't be deceived this morning. You are nothing. Now, of course, in Christ we have everything, and in Christ you are son of God. You have all the confidence in the world to hold your head up high after you leave today. But realize in our sin and in our brokenness and in comparison to the majesty and glory of the almighty God, we're nothing. Let that humility lead to the spiritual growth of our hearts and the hearts of others that we are trying to reach out to. Second thing, how the Spirit works is to give you patience. Do you see that in verse 9? And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. If we do not give up. Don't give up. How many of us stopped sowing into the Spirit 
because we didn't get the answer or the result we wanted. Don't give up. How many moms are in this room that want to give up caring for their children on a regular basis? I give up. Tried everything I can, and they're not listening, and it's not working. Don't give up. How many children's ministry workers have been like, why does everybody get to sit at church Sunday after Sunday, and I got to go be with the kids this week? I didn't get encouraged. I felt like I was sowing into the flesh, not into the spirit. Don't give up. Doing this kind of work that we've talked about is hard and difficult. You need help. You need a source of strength. You need the Holy Spirit. Be encouraged by William Carey, who lived in India, 1793, and preached the gospel to people who had never heard of Jesus. And for seven years, for seven years, he proclaimed the good news of Jesus week after week, month after month, and how many people came to faith in Jesus for seven years? None. How many people have given up? How many times? How many times have you given up? Did it? Did it? I kept sowing. December 20th, 1800, we baptized the first convert from India, Carpenter Krishana Paul. William Carey's story and about the missions work that he did to Hindus in India and be encouraged and not give up. Thirdly, the Spirit works in us through humility, patience, and gratitude. Gratitude isn't necessarily in our text, but it is the message of Christianity. Because Jesus Christ bore your burdens, carrying the full weight on the cross on his back, you and I, my friend, the only possible way for you to have the courage and the strength day after day to not give up, to be humble, all of these things to be wrapped up in this last and final point. The gratitude that the Holy Spirit brings upon the heart when you stare at the cross of Christ and realize that Jesus Christ did not carry some of your load, he bore it all. Every single sin on the cross, he bore the load, the heavy, heavy load that you could not bear. When I think of that image, I think of nothing better that illustrates it than the story that John Bunyan wrote in Pilgrim's Progress. Some of you may have read this book. It's one of the most popular books outside of the Bible and Christian circles. And the book starts with a man who dreamed a dream. And this dream was of a man who had a great burden on his back and a book in his hand, and he saw the book. And when he read in it, he wept and he trembled because he realized that there was no way for him to escape the judgment and the burden that he was feeling on his back. That's how the story starts. The climax of the story is when Christian, that's the character, an allegory, but Christian, carries this burden, this weight of sin. He knew the law. He knew that he was a sinner. He knew he needed to exchange this great weight from his back for something from the outside. He needed help. This is what he writes in Pilgrim's Progress. When Christian ran forward, he came to a place ascending up a hill, and on that place stood a cross. And below the cross stood a sepulcher, which was like where you lay dead people, a big ring. 
cross, below the cross, is a grave. I saw in my dream that when Christian came up to the cross, his burden was loose from his shoulders. It fell from his back, and it began to tumble, and so continued to do so until it came to the mouth of the grave, where it then fell down. I saw it shortly later in the book, John Bunyan writes, Though I came, laden and burdened by my sin, I could not ease the weight of grief that I was in till I came to that place. What a place it was. This was the beginning of my depression. Must here the burden fall from his back? Must here be the place where the strings that bound it to me cracked open? Blessed be the cross. Blessed be the grave. Blessed rather the man that was put to shame for me. My friends, just like Christian. You feel a burden on your back, and that burden is your sin, and you need some weight lifting to care and serve others. Look to the cross and be the one who bore all your sins. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we want to give you thanks for Jesus Christ this morning. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the theme of our song. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is what we want about, pray about, preach about. We're so thankful for the cross of Christ. We're so grateful, God, that you would send Jesus, the innocent one, the righteous one, the one who did not need to bear our burden, but chose to bear it. And sacrificed and inconvenienced and traveled a long distance kept going and did not give up, even when it got more and more and more difficult, even to the very point of his last breath that he breathed on the cross. Speak to us and forgive us. Thank you for Jesus. Not just as our supreme example, but as our substitute, as our burden bearer, as our sin lifter, and as our ultimate sin bearer. God, we want to pray that all of us in this room would make sure we do not leave here today without realizing what Jesus has done for us. God, by your spirit, would you come? Would you come and guide us and lead us to the cross? We pray in Jesus' name.